So uh, a huge welcome to my tiny little podcast, um, Brian Slagle. Thank you so much for your time today. Sure. Thanks for having me. So for anyone who doesn't know who you are, which won't be many people listening, um, CEO, founder of Metal Blade Records, um, which has just celebrated your 40th anniversary. Yes. We're now in year 41 now. That's amazing. Did you ever expect when you started it for it to be this big and this international? Uh, No, of course not. I don't think any of us back in the early 80s expected any of this nonsense to happen. You know, just the fact that, you know, so many of the bands from that era are still going strong and a lot of them have been have become really huge. And the fact that I'm still doing this, this long into it is pretty crazy. You've worked as a columnist for Kerrang. Um, You've initiated the Metal Massacre compilations, sort of really shining a light on the bands that we see as huge today. Some like Overkill, Metallica, Slayer, just, it blows my mind. It really does. Go back to being a teenager. What was it about, um, first of all, how did you first hear metal? And what was it about metal as a genre that grabbed you as opposed to any other genre? So when I was 11, uh, a cousin of mine played me Machine Head by Deep Purple. I'd never heard anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And it just something just hit me. I was like, wow, this is incredible. So I went and bought it the next day at the used record store for a dollar or something, probably. And that same week, my neighbor said, hey, if you like Deep Purple, you should listen to Black Sabbath. So I listened to Sabbath Play Sabbath by Black Sabbath, and that was pretty much the end of that. I was I was hooked. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, I've read on some previous interviews you've done that you used to trade tapes at high school. Yeah, so I was uh, I was what you would call a uh, bootlegger. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was, it was even before like the tape trading that happened, you know, with Metallica and stuff, that was like tape trading demos and things. And I was involved a little bit in that. But prior to that, uh, yeah, I would just I would record live shows, sneak in a tape recorder, the whole thing, and just trade them to people around the world to get, you know, more uh, of all that live stuff. And I did sell a few of them basically to fuel uh, any money I get. I went and bought records with. So it was just a way to to to, to enhance my music collection. But um, yeah, and that, that big turning point for me with that was um, one of my friends in Sweden sent me uh, an ACDC live tape from Sweden at the very end of it. He put on the Soundhouse tapes by Iron Maiden. And that was kind of the next big changing point for me was, I mean, I love metal. I loved all sorts of music, but that hearing Iron Maiden was like, oh my God, what is this? This is like the most incredible thing I've ever heard. And then the first record came out and that was, that really changed it for me where I was just all about metal and the new wave of British heavy metal and all of that stuff. And that kind of, that's really what kind of set me on the path that kind of led me into doing the record label. I mean, think about the longevity that Iron Maiden have had and all these bands that you've worked with. It, it's, I think there's not many other genres that have that longevity, I don't think. I think metal is it's so, it's really special in that respect. Yeah, I mean, we all believed in it, you know, back in the day. Our our, our moniker on a lot of the early metal like t-shirts was heavy metal will never die. And we, you know, we believe that because a lot of people back then, ah, it's bad, it's going to go away. You know, it's not going to last. We heard that we heard that all the time from everybody else in the music industry mm. and just the general public, too. But we were like, no, 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 this is really great. It's going to it's going to keep going. And sure enough, it still is. That's one of the things I love about metal is it doesn't die. It, it goes through generations and it's it's amazing. And then also 
you talked about trading music like I love that feeling and I don't I just don't get it with other genres is like recommending music to people and like getting recommendations and then like falling in love with even more stuff and discovering new stuff like I've been um I've been selling the new Zenith Passage album to everyone that album is amazing I, I, I love a bit of tech death right so I've been like recommending to everyone and people are discovering tech death through it that haven't you know on our little twitter community and it's just i love that about the male community thank you and um yeah that record's doing really incredibly well too so thank you for that yeah i mean that genuinely uh was one of my most anticipated releases of this year so they've smashed it they really did yeah it's a great album it really is physical media i'm talking about tapes your cds your vinyl it kind of had it had its heyday and then it kind of went over to streaming and now it's getting so much more popular again. What do you think the reason behind that is? Well, it's a, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, I think people still like to hold something in their hands, right? And with vinyl, you know, you don't get that if you're listening to something streaming, but a little tiny image and maybe you get the lyrics and, you know, that's about it. But with vinyl, you get the whole package and you know, obviously growing up listening to vinyl, it's a huge vinyl fanatic and almost ended the company because I refused to believe that vinyl was going to die. And then all of a sudden it did for a while. And uh, that wasn't really great. But um, but yeah, I think people want to hold in their hands. And also uh, what's interesting is when it vinyl kind of first started coming back, it was very much a novelty. And I'm not sure how many people actually listen to the vinyl. You know, you get reports anywhere from, you know. 70% of the people just bought it just to have it. Mm-hmm. And I think now it's it's not quite that much. But but the other thing about listening to, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of people just grew up listening to stuff on the earbuds or whatever. They don't have like an actual stereo. So with an actual stereo, you get that whole feeling of almost like being at a live concert where it sounds really good and vinyl to me still sounds the best of any of the, of the formats. So I think there's there's partially that. And you know, like CDs never really went away. They're still kind of around. And that's just, there are a lot of people that prefer CDs, which is kind of interesting. And I still have a ton of them. I I like them as well. And I listen to them uh, on occasion also, but I have friends like a lot of older school guys, like my friend, Eddie Trunk, who's a radio host personality here in the U S and he only listens to, to CDs. He won't listen to vinyl or anything else. So it's only CDs for him. So there's a lot of people like that. So, and it, it's just either people have not graduated to the other, uh, the other things yet, or they still like, you know, I mean, I still have a real stereo. I still like to go listen, you know, sit in a chair and listen to the music out of big speakers every once in a while, which you can't, you can do obviously on the streaming stuff, but it's not as easy as it is with a physical product. So, but I'm also super old school, but now cassettes are back. We're selling cassettes again. And mm-hmm. I can think that that's only a novelty thing. I, I don't believe that many people have cassette players anymore, although you can still buy them, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I, get, I do get the feeling that the cassettes are more of like a collector's thing. It's like they just want to have it. Um, My good friend and Metal Blade employee, Steve, he's a vinyl nerd. Um, uh, and I'm so jealous that he has this just he has boxes and boxes of alphabetized like vinyl and he's just I wish it was me (laughs) yeah I I kept all my vinyl over all these years which is a gigantic pain because you know whenever you move with vinyl it's not a whole lot of fun and I don't like to have movers move my vinyl because I want to 
be in charge of it more or less. So I've yeah. done my share of uh, moving a lot of vinyl around, but I, I kept all, all, pretty much all my vinyl I ever sold. And a lot of, a lot of people I know did, some don't care and, and others like, oh, I wish I never would have sold it. So. Yeah. I kind of get that because it, it's an investment. It's a lot of money, you know, if you want, you want to look yeah. after it. Yeah. And I, I just, it's always been my favorite form of listening to music. So I, I could never part with it you know, like I mentioned before, I, I never thought it was going to go away and then it kind of did for a while, but now it's back. So it's all good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love seeing all the different like variants and colors. And I think it's, it's just very aesthetically pleasing when you see like all these like social media posts of all the different colors you can get. I think it, it looks great on a marketing point of view. I think it looks nice. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do that. I mean, I, I just love that vinyl's around. It's fun to do those sort of things. And of course, I'm still a collector. So, you know, whether Iron Maiden or Black Sabbath or, you know, somebody puts out some new box set or variant or something, I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta buy that now. So. <laughs> uh, first of all, do you listen to metal primarily? Um, and what is your, like, if you, comfort band? Like, if you're having a really bad day and you just want to relax and just be happy again? What is it that you will typically listen to? Yeah, I'd say it's predominantly metal. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to other genres if, if, if I'm not in control of the uh, the uh, stereo or whatever. But yeah, it's, for me, it's always it's always been metal. And I'll go, I mean, I'm a 70s guy. So, you know, if I'm going to, depends on how upset or mad I am, but it'll, it'll either be Iron Maiden, Black, uh, James, Ronnie James Dio era, Rainbow, or Thin Lizzy. One of those three uh, will come up at the end of a bad day and go, okay, I'm going to listen to that. kind of depends on if I'm really angry, I'll probably go to Maid. I see. I've grown up with all those albums. My parents are metalheads. And my dad, he has all of those albums signed and he has them on his walls in his house. Oh, wow. And I've just, I've grown up with that. So all these amazing art covers, like the album art and stuff. So those those albums are quite nostalgic for me as well. I really enjoy hearing so because I'm 31 years old and I genuinely feel like I was born at the wrong time. I would have loved to have been from your generation to see how all the metal, how metal was born basically and how it grew into something, well, the huge thing that it is today. What was that like watching metal just go from this to maybe sort of taboo thing to something that's so popular and diverse now? Well, it's funny because everybody wants to be in a different generation. Like for me, uh, I, look, I, I was very lucky to grow up when I did, obviously, but I'm reading, I read a lot of autobiographies. And I just finished Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath, whose book is amazing. And he's become a, a bit a bit of a friend of mine. I know his wife pretty well. They actually live now part-time here in, in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas area. So, mm -hmm. but, you know, I I get jealous of, of, re of seeing guys who grew up then because they got to see everything really, especially in England, you know, they got to see everything really form because that's when all you know they were going to see you know Jimi Hendrix in a in a club or you know saving Sabbath and all these bands you know grow, kind of grow up so I kind of wish I could have seen that but that being said uh you know being in LA in, in the 80s was was pretty amazing because we you know there were like two separate scenes kind of that that came from LA and we don't get a lot of we don't get as much credit, I feel, as L.A. should for starting the heavy stuff, because three of the four big four, basically Metallica, Slayer and Megadeth, all started in Los Angeles and as well as, you know, a ton of other metal bands as well. But of course, a lot of people look at Molly Crew and Rat and that whole kind of, you know, hair metal scene that came out. Um, but even those bands were a lot heavier in the early 80s. So it, it was fun being around. And, you know, I, you mentioned earlier, you, you know, you like to turn people on to music. And that's really 
I can't play anything. So that's kind of where, where my thing came in is I just love the music so much. And I ended up doing, like you mentioned, I worked with Prang, I started a fanzine. And then I worked at a record store. And that was like, they still the greatest, probably the greatest job I ever had because, you know, it was always my dream to be able to do that. And, and that was in the early, you know, it was eight, 1981. So, you know, I was bringing all these imports in from, from Europe that I couldn't get before and, and just turning people on to, to that music was so much fun. It was because, and people would just come from all over LA. I didn't know there were this many, you know, metalheads around. And they say, what do you, you know, what's new? What's good? And I recommend Iron Maiden or Merciful Fate or Accept or, you know, whatever it was. And that was super fun. And that's, the reason why I really started the label in the first place was just to turn people onto bands. And that's kind of still kind of what the whole emphasis is today. Just it's fun to, to find, you know, new and upcoming bands. Like you mentioned, Zenith's Pathage was amazing and having this really great success so far with that record. And that, that's the most fun for me is like seeing seeing a band or hearing a band you really like and then being able to work with them and, and pass that on to other people who enjoy it. So, so that's kind of where it started for me. And it, yeah, I mean, look, it just... None of us ever thought, as I mentioned earlier, none of us ever thought this would become as big as it has or a band like Metallica or Slayer would be, you know, these kind of generational bands that, you know, everybody, you know, I mean, everybody knows Metallica, whether you're into metal or not, everybody knows that. And and Slayer's not far away. Like a lot of people, even if you're not into metal, I mean, Slayer's kind of a universal band. And Terry King, is, who's in town today, so I'm supposed to see him later. Uh, one of my really good friends, it's just kind of funny to go around with him and, you know, people recognize him that aren't even into metal. It's crazy. The diversity and the subgenres that metal has nowadays. I mean, I, I spoke to my parents about this um, and they said back in their day, it was it was just heavy metal. Like that was just, there's obviously different bands, but it was just heavy metal. You didn't have like um, funeral doom and tech death and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it was just, how do you, do you enjoy the different subgenres? Do you have a specific one that you like, don't like? Like how has it been to watch sort of metal unfold and, to sort of grow in that way well it's interesting because you know when you talk to the bands they all hate that sort of stuff they don't like to be put in a category and i, I get it i totally understand they're just making music and but it was really probably the you know the, the fans that really started putting these bands in the genre just to, i guess and people who worked at magazines and whatnot just to describe what it was mm. and i was involved in the early realm of that because obviously you know metallic and slayer and all those bands were at the time called speed metal and that was the the original one of the original I guess subgenres, and then you went to you know the hair metal and you know I'm, there's a thousand of them now. So I mean I'm not a huge fan of that, but I do I do get it that it's it's cool for fans because if you like a specific thing like you like death metal, then okay you know what death metal is and you know where to go to to listen to it. And now you have melodic death metal and you know all these different subgenres. Um, I think it's kind of fun. I mean I. I understand why the bands get frustrated by it and it does sometimes limit stuff because people go, oh, I don't like that because it's too technical or too whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So it, it can have the drawbacks, but then again, it, it is, I mean, I, we can't control it. So there's nothing I can do to say, you know, to, to stop any of that. It just, it is what it is. And like I said, I get it for the fans. It's kind of fun to be involved in a scene. And that's kind of what has really helped everything because metal world is a scene, but then you have these sub genre scenes that people love too. So look, as long as people are buying it and getting into the music, it's all good with me. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. It's good for maybe journalists to use it as sort of a descriptor. I think it's useful in that way. 
but I do think you know I've got I have been fortunate enough to work with some really amazing musicians uh, in the metal scene and they do get frustrated by like you said by the the categories that um the media puts them in and then like I said it sort of narrows the sort of fan base because people are going to go oh well it says progressive on it I hate progressive stuff I'm not even going to listen to it you know um so I, I get that it must be frustrating yeah I in a weird way though I do I, like I said I do think it also helps as well because then it just you know people if they're into a specific thing especially now it's so hard to discover music because there's so many different avenues to do it so if somebody mm. says that you know this is a whatever subgenre you want it to be at least people know that like that but it is hard for people because they're it's weird because we go through these different phases in in the metal world where you know people uh will listen to kind of anything and everything and they'll be very open to different things and then they get not open to different things and you know it's kind of interesting how that sort of stuff happens like i i like everything i go i run the gamut from you know all the way one way to, to the most extreme stuff I, I like all of it but there are, but i do know a lot of people a lot of friends who are like no I only want specific, you know, European melodic death metal. That's it. I, or Scandinavian, like nothing else. It's like, well, but try some other things here. Yeah. Like I said, I, I always have been into, you know, anything and everything in, in terms of the metal world. So I want the label to, to, to be that. I don't want to be, I think that's one of the reasons why we're still around all these years later is because we don't, we didn't just jump all in on one genre and that defined what, what we were. Uh, mm-hmm. We kind of, all from the beginning had stuff from you know even in the early days we had bands like pandemonium that were kind of more you know hair-ish metal and then you've got slayer and everything else so so we were talking about like comfort albums and comfort bands do you remember a specific time where a a specific album has got you through a particularly rough time Oh, sure. There, there's a lot of that. I mean, uh, one kind of funny story uh, about that was, uh, you know, the difficult time is kind of, kind of, uh, uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit about this, but I'm a huge American football fan. And growing up, I was a big fan of the Denver Broncos, who were, because uh, I had a lot of family in Denver, and they were a terrible team for so, for a long time, and then they finally got good. And they got in the Super Bowl and sometime in the mid 80s, I forget what year it was, but they were playing Washington and I never bet on sports at all, but I was so excited they were in. I was so sure they were going to win. So I bet like for me at the time, what was a lot of money? I can't remember the amount, but by halftime, they were losing like 40 to three. So I was really bad. So we were moving our offices actually. And we had this huge party to kind of, you know, say, hey, we're moving to a different different office. And it was right around the holidays, too. So somebody had broken one of the doors and uh, I had a big collection of axes. And uh, I think it was Mike Fahey, who still works at Metal Blade, had, had stuck it in this broken uh, door that we had at the office. So I was so mad and upset with that, with that game that I drove to the office, which is probably 50 minutes from where I live. And put on "Rain and Blood," "Raining Blood" by Slayer, and chopped the entire door to bits and pieces with that axe. Felt so much better afterwards. That's an amazing story. Wow, you were pissed. Yeah, I was. I was pretty angry. And the door is already broken, so we're going to pay for it anyway. So I might as well put it to good use. I love that. Amazing. So you obviously clearly have a good eye for spotting talent and what's going to be uh 
popular for want of a better word um who are your up-and-coming bands now are there bands now that maybe are signed to you that maybe aren't that you think are going to be big oh wow there's there's so i mean there's really so many of them mm. um especially now i i think in the last couple of years i've seen more bands that are upcoming that you that you feel is like wow there's a lot really going on here i think these bands are, are going to do really well i mean there's a lot of stuff that we have you know on our label you mentioned zenith passage which i, I think are spectacular uh we have a band true that i'm really excited about i don't get excited about a lot of things anymore unfortunately because i've seen too much uh, but we have a band called 200 stab wounds that i absolutely love and i saw them play here in uh in vegas at the at the cycle fest last last year and i hadn't seen them before i, don't, I was I don't get blown away by much these days. I was blown away by how incredible they were live and their new albums coming out pretty soon. I just heard it the other day. It's really, really good. So that's really exciting. Uh, the, the Black Braid thing is is amazing. Those guys are phenomenal. If you haven't seen them yet, they're like a really interesting, it's really just one guy basically, but it's a really interesting story, Native Native Americans and their stuff is, is phenomenal. Um, like there's Frozen Soul, which is, uh, Frozen Soul and Creeping Death, a couple of bands in Texas that are really, really good. Uh, I mean, they're already kind of big, but Lorna Shore is kind of blown up mm. really, really fast. Uh, my friends manage them and they're a fellow English, uh, English as well. So uh, yeah, there's a, there's, I mean, there's so much. I mean, I could sit here probably for the next five minutes and give you a bunch of yeah. names of bands that, that, that have a really good vibe now that, like I said, I didn't see, bef didn't see before. I mean, another band that we have is called, they're, they're called Capra. And they just got confirmed to like a couple huge festivals here in the U.S., which is great because they're kind of this like underground band with a, a really amazing female singer. There's just there's a lot of that stuff going on now. I, I you know, encourage anybody that's into whatever genre, like like dig deep because there's so many good bands that are mm -hmm. that are happening right now. Like I said, I, I think now is. Like I mentioned earlier, probably the best I've seen this in maybe 10 or 15 years, maybe of just the amount of new bands coming up that are really good, that have the right attitude and seem like they're, you know, on their way to hopefully, hopefully do well and keep the genre moving. Absolutely. I mean, I've all your picks there. I've, I've listened, I'm a big fan of all the bands you just mentioned. Um, I went to the Revocation, Goat Whore, Creeping Death, Alluvial tour when they came here to Denmark. Best show. Seriously. They, they were yeah. all lovely and um I got to hang out hang out with them afterwards. They're lovely people and that that was yeah. a really good night. And that just the future of death metal, it felt like it's bright when you hear those bands. And like you say, Frozen Soul. Yep. And yeah. New and record smashed it. So good. And the cool thing too is like you mentioned, I mean all all these people and all these bands are really nice, good people too. And that's I always say that about in the metal world because people go, oh, you know, all blah, blah, blah. You know, it's so heavy and everybody's got to be out of their minds. It's like, no, I mean, it, almost more than any other genre. I've obviously a lot of friends that work in other genres and, you know, country's probably the only one that maybe everybody's just as nice there as they are in our world, kind of. But um, yeah, just uh, all those, like, all these bands are just so nice. And it makes it great for me because they're all really, they're friends more mm. than anything else at this point. It just makes it, really nice to work with people you're also friends with and there's not there's no drama or arguments or disagreements i mean I, I, i'm trying to remember the last time i had a disagreement with a band it's been a long time yeah yeah it's all good it does feel like a family in a kind of way and, and you know i i typically go to concerts alone and as a woman on my own i feel so i feel so safe going to like metal concerts because it's 
the bands themselves and also the fans we have you know it's just a it feels like family um and yep. I don't get that from other concerts that I've been to that have been non-metal um and I just yep, love it I would agree I really love I it I would agree with that yeah so what I like to do at the end of each episode is play a little game with all my guests and <laughs> what it's called gift or curse so basically the idea is I'm going to go through five things one at a time and you have to decide whether you think that thing is a gift for the world or a curse upon the world <laughs> so it's okay. simple the fifth question is a recurring question which I ask all my guests including my mother who has been on this podcast but you'll see why when we get there so gotcha. um is that cool yeah of course well, okay so number one classic pineapple on pizza gift or curse well that's a very interesting question because up until about uh, maybe 10 days ago, I would have said absolute curse. I, pineapple on pizza is horrible. But I did a book signing in LA and the night before the book signing, I went to the famous Rainbow Bar and Grill, which I'm not really a big fan of, by the way. Sorry, Rainbow. Um, with my good friend, Don Jameson, uh, and also my friend, Glenn Hughes, who, if you don't know, Glenn Hughes, one of the greatest singers of all time and a wonderful, also pr British man uh, and his, his wife. And we all had dinner at the Rainbow. And they ordered, uh, they ordered a pizza. I didn't really see what they had ordered. And I, I wasn't really, I was too busy talking and not paying attention to the, the food. We all ordered a salad and this pizza came out and, and I go, oh, what? it was supposed to be a, uh, they're all vegetarians, which is, which is good. I'm mostly vegetarian as well. So, so, okay, it was just cheese, but it had jalapeno on it. So I was like a, a little, little worried about the jalapeno because I, I, I like jalapeno, but I don't like the seeds. It's too hot. But anyway, so I tried this this pizza and I'm like, what is this? What are these little chunks on here um, that are oddly kind of sweet-ish? And they go, oh, the pineapple. I go, really? Because their theory is the pineapple interacts with the jalapeno to kind of make it not as overly hot. And surprisingly, I was like, this isn't terrible. Yeah. So um, I'm still not going with a gift, uh, but it's definitely a curse. But I'm much less... Uh, a hater of that than I was previously. Well, there you go. I mean, I'm I'm on the curse side as well, just in my opinion. But yeah, that's great. I I, I agree with you there. Just that this one pizza actually kind of was halfway decent. So yeah, there you go. Promising. <laughs> so number two, something that a lot of metalheads will discuss and argue about: the the snare drum tone on Metallica's and Anger album, gift or curse. Uh, well, so I, I have a background story for this. Mm -hmm. Um, so of course, right. So, so I was at this, in, when they were making that record, I was up in San Francisco in the studio a lot with them for a variety of reasons. We were, we had done a 20th anniversary box set, which they were very nicely to, uh, be a big part of. And so I went up there to, to, to talk about that and then also to deliver that. So I was up there, I don't know, four or five times during the making of that record. And so as they were, you know, kind of getting to, you know, progressing down with the recording, you know, they would play me some stuff and I heard that snare. I was like, that's a really interesting snare sound. Uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to change it when we get to the mix. It's just, you know, we're just using it for now. Yada, yada. I go, oh, okay, whatever. And then the record, you know, then I hear the, the final records like, oh, they didn't change that, that, that snare sound at all. Uh, I kind of could get over it a bit because I, I do, I do like it, but they did, if you listen, they did a uh, an EP, uh, some kind of monster EP 
after the record came out that they redid the snare. Uh, a normal snare sound is way better. So I will, of course, go curse on that one. I, I think I have to agree with you on that one. I think um, I remember I spoke to uh, the drummer from Allegiant, Jeff. Um, I have his opinion on that. And he said if, if St. Anger had been a 90s hardcore album, it would have been perfect. <laughs> but, yeah. they, but he said, other than that, maybe not the greatest artistic choice ever made. Yeah, they, they were they were listening. I mean, they're always they're always a factor of whatever they're listening to at the time. They're heavily influenced by whatever they're into. And and at that point they were kind of into all, you know, system of down and all that kind of nineties, you know, stuff that had the different drum tones on it. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so number three. Doom metal, gift or curse? Oh, definitely gift for me. I, I love doom metal. I mean, we were involved with it in the early days. You know, we did all the Candlemas records in the U.S. and absolutely love them. And obviously, I mean, Trouble, you know, in the early '80s started with us, and they were, you know, probably one of the purveyors of doom metal. So I, I love doom metal. I, I absolutely would say gift on that one. I had a feeling you'd say that. <laughs> cool. So number four. You, wait, you are not a gift on that one. I think it depends on the band. Ah, okay. Fair I enough. like a very high energy kind of metal. Like Tech Death is what I really gotcha. love. So I like a lot of energy. So it really depends. Oh, it's not a curse, but it's not my favorite thing. Gotcha. Fair favorite. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um. Yeah. So number four, uh, music streaming services, gift or curse? Well, um, I'm gonna. Uh, I I, so I have to. I always have to preface because people ask me this question all the time, uh, and, and I'm gonna say gift. But let me quantify why I'm saying that for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just, you know, it's more access for people to listen to music, which is great. And depending upon, so a lot of, so this is a very controversial subject. A lot of bands, you know, go off, we don't make any money. Da, 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 da. So it depends on the band. It depends on the situation because, you know, we're the music industry itself and the labels are making a ton of money off of the streaming services. Now, the problem is a lot of the major labels are not passing that along to the bands. Like if you're on a major label and you've been there forever and you've, you've got a royalty rate that's that for the 1980s or 70s or whatever was a good royalty rate, they're taking that royalty rate, so let's just say it's like 16% or something. Um, and the reason that well, those royalty rates were that way, because back then you had to manufacture vinyl or CDs, and there's a lot of cost involved where streaming, there's no costs. So a lot of the major labels don't pass that along to the artist. So the artist is only making, in some cases, 15, 16, 17 percent, which is not fair at all. But most independent labels and most you know uh, labels that care about the artists are you know doing a much higher you know two three times higher realty rights by that and that, and then you know you're you're making real money. I mean we're writing you know we're writing checks every six months to a lot of our bands in the six figures based you know probably seventy five percent on streaming. So it, it's it's really good. We still wish it was more. Uh, YouTube, which is probably the biggest of all, is also the one that pays the least. So there's a big, uh, I'm not a big fan of, of, of that. But I think we're getting there. And I think, you know, the, the artists are getting more, we're getting smarter about and about what they should be getting for that. Because, yeah, they should be getting a, a much higher percentage. So if they are, uh, then they're making decent money. If they're not, then they're not. But in general, I think it's it's really saved the, the, the business because, before with all the file sharing and everything and nobody's making any money off of that 
So it's kind of, it's graduated. Is it, is it a perfect system? No, it's definitely not a perfect system, but it's way better than it was before. And, you know, now you have um, venture capital companies and all these out, people outside the music industry that are investing in the industry for the first time ever, because they say, well, the, the growth factor, if you looked at years down the road, if, you know, how many more people are going to be buying streaming and, you know, all this sort of stuff that they're very anxious to spend their money to get involved in the music industry, which we've never seen before. So I think ultimately, like I say, it's a gift now, but I do understand why some people don't like it and why some bands don't like it because unfortunately for them, they're not getting paid what they should be getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's like the same with merch cuts, that whole debate with venues taking so much money. They, they it's, it's ridiculous. And it's yeah, really unfair. Like you said, yeah and that and that's a bad one because they're all and i feel for the venues on a certain level because you know they were shut down for three years like the bands but that being said you know some of the yeah, some of those prices are just completely insane I, I, like it's always been the venues a lot of venues will take some of the money just you know for whatever reason which again we, we can debate that all day long but to take as much money as they're taking you know you're forcing these bands to you know charge 50 60 dollars for a t-shirt yeah. costs like six dollars to make it's insane yeah it is <laughs> number five and i do apologize for this one i have asked this is my recurring one that i ask all my guests like i said earlier including my own mum. uh flavored condoms gift or curse uh well i i'm probably the wrong person to ask because i'm not on the other end of the uh of the flavor so uh i would uh that's a well that's an interesting question uh i would i would defer to uh i would probably defer to my girlfriend on that one but um yeah i i don't uh yeah i don't know that's a it can be both i suppose <laughs> it can be both a gift to one side and a curse to the other side so i'll stay in the middle on that i totally understand that i've had both the male and female perspectives on my podcast for that one most men yeah. say Hell yeah, I imagine the men are all like, hey, that's all great. And the women are like, eh. Exactly. Pineapple <laughs> on pizza, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> well, I will wrap it up there. Again, thank you so much for your time. It was really genuinely fascinating to hear your stories and to speak with you. Um, I have huge respect for you and what you've done for the metal industry. Thanks, I appreciate that. Thanks for all the support on your end. And it was always fun to do these things. So all good. Yeah, well, thank you so much and uh, have a nice day. Thanks. You do the same. Take care. Thank you. Bye.